Welcome to episode 35 of the Food Safety University podcast. I'm your host, David Zarling. And today is part seven of our new plant manager series, where we talk about the safety program audit and how to see where your business stands on safety. Join us. Welcome to the Food Safety University podcast presented by Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele of Dirigo Food Safety. Tune in to learn about food safety and processing in plain terms. We'll break down the ins and outs of HACCP, the food code, and much, much more so that you can easily implement and manage your own food safety program and even have some fun while doing so. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Food Safety University's new plant manager series. This is part seven, where we're talking about safety and safety programming. As a new plant manager, when you come into a plant, one of the often overlooked aspects of managing a plant, your expenses, the culture, and your productivity, is by managing your safety program. Now, you might say, well, you know, a safety program doesn't actually show up on my bottom line, but I would beg to differ. I, I believe that there are many, many indirect costs that are actually associated with the overall health of your safety program. Some of these indirect costs uh, are time spent investigating incidents and correcting them. You know, the corrective action and preventative action process is not a short one sometimes, especially when you have a systemic issue uh, like, like worker safety. Downtime. When you're down because of a safety incident, whether it's to uh, an employee or an animal, if you happen to be in a slaughter plant, uh, that can be very, very costly for your entire supply chain. Of course, your company image, you know, your image as it's constructed uh, and, and how it's represented throughout the culture of your company uh, can really affect your bottom line. If a company has or if a business has uh, a reputation for being unsafe or having uh, inadequate working conditions for team members, it can be very hard to hire. It can create more downtime. It can create uh, a, a, a lack of confidence by the consumer when that sort of reputation uh, becomes prevalent out in the public. And these are all things that we we really want to curb because at the end of the day, here's how I approach safety. Every person that walks into your facility or your business that wants to be your employee does so wanting to do the best job that they can possibly do. They, people want to do a good job, and it's our responsibility as employers to provide a safe and comfortable working environment so that people can do their best work without worry, without worrying about being safe. I mean, I can think about times where I've worked on slaughter floors, uh, that were not safe or did not have a safety program in place, didn't require PPE. And I oftentimes had to work more slowly, more carefully, um, worrying about things that distracted me from my actual job. And so we want to set up a program that supports our employees being safe comfortable and knowing that when they go to work every day, they're going to return home in one piece to their family uh, without thinking about how safe or unsafe their work environment is. I mean, I uh, <clears throat> have worked with several people who came from the, the wood milling industry, and it sounds to me like some of these businesses 
are very, very safe and, and heavily regulated, and some are not, and some are, are pretty loose. And the stories that I've heard from these places are, are absolutely appalling. And I just don't think that in 2021, uh, that's, that's the world we live in anymore. We want to provide these safe environments for our workers. So uh, let me give you a little anecdotal uh, memoir here. I once managed a plant that had no safety program. There was no safety officer, no safety team, no safety program, no hazard analysis, no policy, no management commitment. And their uh, XMOD, or experience modifier, which we'll talk more about later, it's a, it's a number that workers' comp insurance companies use to score how safe you are. And that score is applied to your premium. This company's premium was absolutely through the roof. It was a, a greater expense than I had ever experienced in a plant before. And, and when I dug into it with their, uh, with their claim specialist, I saw that we had people that were out on back injuries from four or five years ago. Uh, claims that had been unmanaged and just been left open. And, and therefore also the wallet had been left open. Um, and don't get me wrong, when people uh, need to be compensated for their injuries, it's extremely important that we show up and do that work. However, sometimes there are better ways because people who are in workers' comp don't earn a full paycheck. We want people to be able to earn their full paycheck and support themselves. And sometimes there are ways to go about doing that to get them off of workers' comp and get them into a program where they can uh, feel value, where they can continue to hone their skills, be trained, add to their career, and feel comfortable knowing that they're providing their full paycheck for their family. So this company had no safety program. They had all these outstanding claims, but they also had a myriad of constant small claims, cuts, stabs, tweaked backs, hurt necks, uh, smashed fingers. You know, there, there was just absolutely nothing in place to train people on how to use their bodies. And you know, I've worked for people whose attitude is, well, people ought to know what their limits are. And that's just not true. Because what we ask people to do is work quickly. We ask people to work quickly and efficiently and produce results. And it's very, very difficult without training to keep safety or, uh, or, or your body in general in mind while doing so. You know, it's our nature to move quickly with reckless abandon, uh, within reason, of course. And, and we need to teach people how to do that in a way that keeps them healthy and happy and, and going home in one piece. So this company uh, was just absolutely through the roof with, with these benefits. And what we did over the course of the next nine months is I, I hired someone. I, I was already hiring someone uh, to be a maintenance manager. So I found someone who had a background in emergency management, uh, who is a great project manager. And they ended up being a better uh maintenance manager than any person I'd ever had because not, they didn't know how to repair everything that we had, but we had maintenance people for that. This person was an excellent project manager and we gave them a task that was in their wheelhouse because of their background in emergency management in the military. We gave them the title of safety manager as well as maintenance manager and tasked them with creating a robust plant-wide safety program. I'll explain how they did that in a moment. The result of this exercise was a shockingly reduced insurance premium over the next 
couple of years. It takes a while to turn it around, but it really shows up when these insurance companies do their annual reassessments, and it's incredibly important for your bottom line, for your employee retention, and for the quality of your product, which then translates into consumer confidence, uh, to have this safety program. So let's talk about the goal of any safety program. The goal of any safety program really uh, is to maintain an environment that is safe and sound for employees to come to work every single day and not worry, right? It's to protect your workers from the actual hazards and any potential significant risks, uh, but also to establish compliance, right? Uh, and to be in conformance with state OSHA and federal OSHA regulations. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by creating a program. And as we've mentioned, as Dr. P mentions often, uh, as I've mentioned in the past, a program consists of several different elements, right? So a program consists of a risk or hazard analysis, a policy that encompasses the risk or hazards and how we're going to deal with it, the corresponding standard operating procedures and prerequisite programs that we need to build in order to mitigate these risks. We'll have some logs where we monitor and verify that these are happening. We'll have supporting documentation. Now, supporting documentation in this sort of uh, situation may be um, different training manuals or various articles written by safety firms or consultants. Then we've got a 90-day validation. Yes, you do want to validate this program to make sure that it's working because if we put together a program, and this goes for anything, this goes for your, your prerequisite program for shipping and receiving, for pest control, for preventative maintenance, you have to have a 90-day validation because that actually tells you whether or not it's working. I just got back from a client trip where uh, you know they, they implemented their 90-day validations of all of their risk-based programs. And, you know, they were going around checking things in their pest control program, and they found that several of the electric uh, traps were unplugged. Now, this was just something that happened during, uh, obviously, during a sanitation cycle. They unplugged the equipment to move it. They put it back. They didn't plug it back in. But that 90-day validation, which after the 90 days, after you validated the program, just moves into your internal audit program. But you're constantly auditing these programs to make sure that they are conforming to spec, to your policy and your SOPs. And if they're not, you do on-the-spot corrections or you do a corrective action form and implement some training. So the validation is incredibly important. It, it's, it, I, I highly recommend to change the paradigm around 90-day validations as something that's like, oh, this is such a slog, too. This is an incredibly important tool and keeps me out of hot water because I know that the programs are working, right? We want the programs to manage for you and you oversee the programs. So last but not least, the internal audit. Again, that's where you've validated your program over the course of 13 weeks or 90 days. And then you move that program over to the internal audit rotation where you take X amount of programs uh, monthly and audit them for accuracy, right? And it's just a constant rotation. That way you're only doing a reassessment of your HACCP plan once. Those are the elements that a, a safety program should contain. Now, 
what does that really look like? What is what does the program look like? So you do, you do a hazard analysis, and yes, you want to do this on every production unit in your plant. So let's say you have let's say you're a, a small farm, you're a vegetable operation, you've got a wash and pack station. I'm going to do a hazard analysis in the field and in the pack station. Right? You may have uh, some knives that you use for harvesting. Your SOP is going to discuss knife use and knife care. How do you have a sharp knife? How to handle a knife? What PPE is required, right? What the process for harvesting different uh, vegetables is. And then you may go into the wash and pack station and find that, uh, you know, you've got some chemical hazards there for some different cleaning products. You've got a slippery floor hazard. You've got, uh, you know, a hazard where people may be lifting totes that are heavier than they should be. So we have a prerequisite program, uh, that we would put in place for packing totes. Nothing weighs more than X amount. And we have a training that we implement that is part of an SOP for lifting, where we teach people how to lift, right? And that's how we do a hazard analysis. In a, in a meat plant, you may start from the unloading of the animals all the way through the shipping dock. And you do a hazard analysis for each one of these steps in the, pro- in the overall process flow. And by identifying the hazards, you'll start to see some common themes between departments. And they generally uh, lie in PPE, material handling, uh, slippery floors, how to handle sharps, and uh, various items like that, you know. And, And so once we start to see these common grounds, we're able to construct a training schedule. What are the things that we want to train our teams on so that they know exactly what to do, how to do it, and when to ask for help, right? And when to uh, blow a whistle, quite frankly, when they see something unsafe. That's another thing that we need to throw into this, right? So we, we, have a, we talked about our risk analysis, and we, de- we want to turn all of those hazards into training opportunities uh, with accompanying SOPs, with work instructions. Here's how you do this and this and this. And then we get on a training schedule, and we have people sign off. Uh, and we also have a more robust safety training when people are onboarded, right? So when you come into the company, you get kind of an overview of all of the high points of safety to make sure that they understand the expectation uh, as well as how we're going to support them. Because it's incredibly important that in our policy, we include a management commitment. And that management commitment is not just lip service. It is a commitment to our employees or our teammates or our shareholders that we are going to create a culture of safety and accountability but in, in in an environment where it's okay to stop the line, right? This is something that Dr. P talks about a lot. Anyone should be able to stop the line in your plant or your building or your facility or your business at any time if they feel that there is a safety concern. And I don't care, again, if you're harvesting vegetables, if you're in a restaurant uh, as a production cook, if you're on a food truck or if you're in a meat plant, Anyone should be able to stop the line if they see a safety hazard occurring um, and, and, you know, feels that they need to implement a corrective or preventative action right away. So what are some tips that uh, I want to share with you when it comes to planning a food safety program? The first thing that you need to do, aside from going through the elements of a program, again, risk analysis, your policy, including your management commitment statement, 
the SOPs, prerequisites, and work instructions that will uh, mitigate the risks that are identified in, in the analysis, the logs that are associated, because we do want to monitor people and verify that they're doing things correctly, any supporting documentation, a 90-day validation, and an internal audit. Uh, the first thing that I do is, you know, just like Dr. P says, form your team. Form your team. Form a safety team. Make someone the head of that team, and it could be you as the plant manager. It could be your facility or maintenance manager. It could be your QC manager, although they generally have more on their plate than they would like. Uh, it could be just someone who's looking to um, grow in your company who would like more responsibility. And there's training available. There are third-party auditors and uh, consultants that can help you with training. And even your state and federal government has quite a bit of material on safety training and regulations. And so uh, it's it's very easy to get your state OSHA representative for your area to come out to the plant, do a voluntary walk, uh, identify areas of opportunity, and sit and talk with your uh, trainees that are in safety leadership to talk about how to best uphold their program. State OSHA representatives are not cops. They're partners. I want to get that right out in the open. They are absolute partners, and they are there for the welfare of the worker, which in, in the end, as we talked about, as identified in those indirect costs in the beginning, the welfare of your workers does show up in your bottom line, even if you can't quantify it. You can quantify it year over year by measuring KPIs, and we'll get to that. So form your team. You don't want to just have one safety officer who, you know, gives a boring presentation at an all-hands meeting. You want to have a representative from every work group. So if you are in a, uh, let's say, a plant where you make beef jerky, your raw fabrication room, your shipping receiving room, your QC team, uh, your, your value-added room, your packaging crew, everybody is going to have a safety representative. Uh, and from there... You want to schedule a, a uh, very firm meeting. And by firm, I mean it doesn't get canceled or missed just because it's inconvenient. Uh, we did ours biweekly uh, in the last plant that I managed. You could do monthly. Uh, I don't recommend going any longer than monthly. And just take an hour. Take an hour or a half an hour and do a training session. And when the department, when the safety team head trains the department safety members, they then take what they learned and train their crews, right? So you push the information down through the org chart. Um, and of course, you audit their trainings. You train them to train. We train our new safety supervisors how to teach people things. We encourage them to find their voice and how they relate to people and how they teach people. Um, and then we audit those occasionally. But the, the safety meetings are incredibly, incredibly important. You can go over anything from, you know, MSDS sheets or today we're going to take a tour of the chemical shed or uh, lift training or unloading animals training or using a box cutter or a knife or how to train using PPEs, how to properly wear things, uh, fire drills emergency evacuation plans. There's so many things to train on that you could you could honestly have a once a month training and not repeat a topic for two years. So I, I highly recommend that. And you will see this on your bottom line. Um, onboarding training. Again, this should be something uh, we've talked about onboarding in various other parts of the new plant manager series, you know, the treasure or the, the scavenger hunt where you meet people and uh, the employee handbook and all these different things you should get in a safety training, a baseline safety training to set the tone 
for the culture of accountability and safety should be performed when someone is onboarded. We teach people how to lift. We teach people how to use a knife, what equipment they can use, what they can't use, how to do lockout tagout, where the lockout tagouts are. Uh, these are all incredibly important things for a new employee to know. Um, another tip for having a great safety program is transparency with the local OSHA. Please invite them in. That's what I that's that's what I recommend. That's what I've had success with. When you try to fly out under the radar, they're just going to show up one day. It's inevitable that someday they will show up, whether it's because of a disgruntled ex-employee or if it's because uh, they're just making the rounds. But if you call them first and have them come into your facility, your farm, your restaurant, and have them take a look around, you build that culture of transparency with OSHA, and they know that you are there to work as a partner rather than an adversary, rather than a person who says, Okay, OSHA's here. Hide the meat, the meat tenderizer. You know, we that's we we don't want those days are gone. We don't want to do that anymore, right? Plant walks, gemba walks, internal audit. This is where you actually walk the plant. I scheduled one hour every other week. Uh, you you could also do one hour a week where I was specifically touring the plant, looking through the lens of safety. Okay. Granted, I may go on three or four walks a day sometimes, but they're all looking for different things because you have to calibrate your eyes. And when you're looking and doing an ongoing hazard analysis, that's the only thing you want in your mind. So schedule yourself these walks. Just give yourself an hour. If you don't get the whole plant, that's okay because you know you're going again. You can divide the plant up or the facility or the farm or the restaurant. You can divide that up into specific spots. But it's incredibly important that we're watching uh, and, and that we're taking notes on how we can improve our safety. An annual reassessment. This is incredibly important. While we are doing an internal audit, we are doing walks, we are doing a 90-day validation, it's incredibly important that we do one big uh, annual reassessment. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not as pressing as the internal audit. So if you're going and auditing the program very thoroughly, every quarter, then you don't need to do the annual reassessment. But if you're just doing, you know, walks, you've got your 90 day validation, you've got your safety team, it's good to get your team together once a year to really go over the plan and the program to make sure that everything still rings true to everyone. And have you ever seen those uh, clocks, those digital clocks on the wall where it states how many days it's been since the last safety incident? That's a really basic form of a KPI, right? a key performance indicator. We really want to track our metrics, kind of like how we do with, with quality control issues, right? We have different categories uh, of, of safety, whether, um, you know, you could do it uh, either low impact, medium impact, or severe, or it could be, you know, lifting, PPE, uh, slips and falls. There's so many different ways you could divide it up, but it's important that when a safety incident occurs, we log it somewhere and then track the trends to see where we have clusters of incidents under what categories, because then we know where to focus our training, right? So KPIs are incredibly important uh, to develop, and, and there are lots of resources on the internet about what to track, but I highly recommend tracking claims and what kind of claim they are. Um, and then also tracking, you know, the, the dollar amount with those and the severity, because then you can start, like I said, to really hone in on where you're training and, and where you need to bolster your program. And then last but not least, it, you know, um, 
managing that experience modifier. That's incredibly important. And again, the way that that works is the insurance company takes a look at all of your incidents. They rank them. And then they develop how risky your business is and your premium changes accordingly, right? And there's two main ways in order uh, that people manage X mods or experience modifier scores through risk prevention, right? And, and that's exactly what this entire podcast has been about. This safety program that I've suggested to you is how you prevent risk. You just have to create the program and work it. That's all you have to do. And I promise you it will work. And you will have a reputation for being a safe company. And that's, a, that's incredible for, for hiring new employees and opening up the talent pool. But the other way is through claim management, right? And uh, claim management, and what we mean by claim management is that we're showing up and doing the work uh, of service to our employees that have been affected by risk or by safety issues. And what that looks like is, is sometimes... Uh, claims stay open for a long time and need to be closed out because they've moved on and they're healed and they're better. And we need to just make sure that, that, that those get closed out. But the other thing is like some people uh, are, are okay to work, but on modified duty. And they don't know that because no one tells them. And this is nine times out of 10, this is what happened. So I had someone who tweaked their back uh, and they were unable to perform the job that they were performing before for X amount of time, but they were upset because they were only collecting part of a paycheck because of workers' comp. Well, we worked with the workers' uh, compensation company, and we were able to actually modify their duties and get them a new job that where they learned a new skill set, where they were able to collect their whole paycheck, get off of workers' comp, get back into the swing of things while they healed, and it was a win-win for both of us because we didn't have to hire someone new for this new job, and they were able to, uh, you know, earn their expected income. So managing claims is incredibly, incredibly important. And, uh, and if you have any questions about that, please reach out at, uh, to David at Deergo Food Safety, as I've got a lot to say about that. Um, hopefully everyone enjoyed this talk on safety, programming, and management. Uh, I think it's an incredibly uh, important and, and very much overlooked aspect to plant management uh, or business management of any kind. You know, people think that it's just for the big players who have massive workforces, but honestly, if you've got a crew of four people, you should still have a safety program because we want to keep everyone's lives are important, are just as important, no matter how many are, are in question. So it's incredibly, incredibly important that we have these programs. And, and we at Deergo Food Safety are here to help you with that. So uh, please reach out if you have any questions. But otherwise, I hope you have a very safe and productive week. And I'll look forward to speaking with you next time. Thanks for listening. Before you go, click the subscribe button and check us out at foodsafetyuniversity.com where we have free food safety guides waiting for you. Until next time, keep up the great work.